Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different starting over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. Hey everyone, thank you honestly to each and every one of you who listen to this show regularly and have put us in the top 10% of podcasts worldwide. I'm super grateful because honestly, this lets me live out a big love and purpose of mine. And that is having deep, meaningful conversations just like these podcasts, which are aimed at helping people heal and grow in life. And Every share with a friend, every review, every discussion that you have is honestly so appreciated. Now, if you're new to the podcast today, a big, big welcome to you. The main theme of this podcast is really about starting over what I call starting over stories. And they're all about giving hope, inspiration and guidance as to how you can use some of the more difficult and challenging moments in life to connect with your true self, to elevate your consciousness and to walk a path towards greater inner peace, self-love and joy. And our guest today, Suzanne Anderson, has one of those stories. So Suzanne is a psychologist, author, coach and leadership consultant who tragically lost her husband to suicide. But she made a choice to be broken open and transformed instead of broken down and defeated. And you can honestly hear it in her voice. I said to her afterwards, like, you are just so, there's something so calm and grounded about you. And I think you really feel that, that wisdom that she has done the work. So in this episode, we discuss healing, self-discovery, resilience, and it is jam-packed with valuable insights and practical suggestions. So something I love, she identifies five key limiting beliefs that she's uncovered through 10 years of research and how you can dismantle those to unlock your full potential, how we can heal from trauma and ride the emotional waves, talk about the emotional ocean and how it really is like that sometimes. We've got to go through it and ride it with gentle ease rather than clinging on. And that is the same also with some of our fears, how we can turn towards them rather than running away from them and why we should. But with no further ado, here is the conversation with Suzanne. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Starting Over with Shannon. I'm very pleased to have you and I'm looking forward to hearing some of your story and for you to share with us some of the wisdom that you have learned through many of the twists and turns that you have experienced in your life and some of them beautiful, some of them really devastating that you've ended up finding beauty within. And yeah, I'm very looking, very much looking forward to, to hearing that. But where I wanted to start is your latest book called You Make Your Path by Walking. And I want to ask, what does that actually mean? Why did you choose that title and what was the learning there right. for you? Well, the title actually came from my favorite poem, one of my favorite poems by Antonio Machado. 
He was a turn-of-the-century Spanish poet. But in essence, this is a line basically taken from that poem, or I, I, I changed it a little bit. But the, the, the point is, we only have now. We make our path by walking that next step, not the next step and the next step and the next step. And sometimes when you go through a difficult trauma or loss or there's a disorganizing event in your life, you have the sense that it's all about getting somewhere. I need to know where I'm going next. And I need to, that's when I'll start living again, when I, when this horrible thing gets over and you make your path by walking is really saying, no, the past is gone, which is true in this moment. Even the moment before is gone and all you have and what, I want to encourage people, especially when you're going through difficult change to do, is to come more into the present, to be with what is here on this ground. Because you won't get that day back, you won't get that moment back. And what I experienced and what I write about is that as you do that, that does determine where you end up. In other words, you're becoming you know, you, you you have to be willing to become someone you can't even imagine yet. Because the consciousness you have when everything's been shattered isn't the consciousness that can even see that future self yet. Yeah. So so that's sort of the essence of it. I'm sure you can relate to that through your own I can absolutely challenge. relate yeah. to it. Absolutely. And I think that's what really also developed a sense of trust in me too and faith because I was so uncomfortable with the uncertainty and the fear of the unknown and what comes next. And I realized that that just led to immense anxiety mm-hmm. and that was not the way forward. So I, yeah, I immediately resonated with the title of that. And then of course, much of what you share in the book too. So let's go over to the the kind of core of this in your starting over and what said you know, shattered your ego and opened you up to a new level of consciousness and a new way of living. And that was with the death of your husband, David. Yeah. Can you speak to that for us? Mm. Right. Well, I think it's, it's probably important to have the, the where I was before the ground fell away, which was really living what I would call the perfect life. I, I felt like that. I was, I had just written the manuscript of the first book, my co-author um, and I had completed that. We were looking for a publisher. We were about to launch a new program after taking a year out to write. Um, after 10 years of research, you know, we were about to host a wedding and be part of a wedding of um, David's niece and the son of his best friend in Indonesia where he had his business, David had his business. Um, we lived on a beautiful property on an island near Seattle. It was a very unusual, gorgeous place. And so all of that sort of brings us to the end of the year, 2012. This is now, you know, 10 years ago. And early 2023, January 3rd, I came home and found my husband dead, but also, important to say, dead by suicide. So that is both my beloved ripped away from my life and, and then, of course, the complexity of a suicide and you know all that that involved in making making sense of and in a way um that was like whatever i'd been doing up until then was was the training ground for 
the lived experience of and the full embodiment of everything. I was already had been working for years now, 10 years at that point with women installing this new operating system, we could say, right? This new way of being that had the feminine and masculine moving. And that is work with very specifically with trauma. That's what I do is work with developmental trauma, the ways that we put parts of ourselves into the shadow. You know, that that is, we can talk more about that in a moment um, because I think that'll, that would be interesting. But I'd already been doing that that work, I would say. And then I had the operating system I had to, to handle, to be in this moment, but it was so much more than I could have ever. I, I, if someone had said to me, this will happen to you, there was no part of me that would have believed that. It's how far it was from my reality to the happening of it. Yeah. Did his and within six months, shock? it was a huge, 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 huge shock. I mean, for everybody. So he was, he, he had started to have tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ears that had happened about three months earlier, which is pretty crazy making, actually, people say. It's like having the sound, you know, like someone scratching their fingers down a blackboard or something inside your head constantly. But you can learn to live with it, and people do, because a lot of people have it. It can happen from just, you know, being in too many music concerts from old age, from, you know, lots of things. They don't actually know much about what causes it. So that was going on for him. Um, for sure, that was a factor. But what I would soon discover was that his whole business world was about to come down. He had his own, he had an Indonesian antique furniture business, workshop in Java, and then a store in Seattle, and it was all going to come down. And and he just did not a have the energy debt. to face it. A enormous amount of debt. Enormous amount of debt. So much debt that actually, well, I had to sell our vast estate as quickly as I could. And I was able to do that, fortunately, before the bank would take it. But so, so much debt, just to say that there was, it wiped out everything I had. I mean, literally zero was left in more, more debt than asset. So it was a complete elimination of all of the ways that I identified myself with my beloved, with the future we had out ahead of us, my beautiful home that I lived in, the community I lived on on that island I left, my business, I closed it down. Um, really, there was my, my identity as a transformational teacher at that time, you know, or the way I, I had to obviously shift everything. So it was a complete, I mean, I can, yeah, yeah, I can mm -hmm. so see why you said the ground falling away under you because it's mm -hmm. so encompassing. It's everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, wow. And in some ways, you know, I can now see the, the offering of that. I wouldn't call it a gift, but I could say an offering. And I do say offering of that because there's really, there's very little that when someone says to me, yeah, well, I, I can't make this change because I'm afraid I won't have any money or I'm afraid I'll be alone or I'm afraid, you know, there's really no ground. I can go on, on all these grounds because, you know, at the most fundamental level, I really had nothing from having everything, apparently. I, I thought I had a lot of everything. So there was a huge gap, obviously, and that's 
on me in terms of not investigating or being more aware of what David's business was doing since we were married. I mean, that I should, I had my own business, he had his, and I wasn't tracking all of that. But, um, but I can say, you know, that I, there's a way in which in the work that I do where I'm really encouraging women to, to midwife the next level of their expression, to really come into the world now with more of who they are. And, and I can meet you women where pretty much everywhere because I've actually been there yeah. on whatever exactly. ground that would be, you know? Yes. I mean, that's true empathy, isn't it? Like the fully, you've been there, you've Absolutely. lived through it, you understand. It's exactly, yeah. you know, one thing you write, you said, when my beloved husband took his life and with it mine, as I knew it, I faced a choice. Would I be broken down and defeated or broken open and transformed? There were so many lines that I loved in what you wrote, Suzanne. But when I read that, I paused and I thought, did you ever have a moment where you had that reckoning yourself of being feeling just so on your knees and feeling faced with that very choice of what do I do? Like, do I collapse? I feel like I want to collapse, but I also have this opportunity to be reborn or to find a new way. Did it, did it happen for you in sort of moment or an unfolding or how did that go? There was a critical moment in my accepting the reality. And I tell that story in the book with my colleague and friend, Michael Mead, who I invited to come over to the house the day after. He's an author also and works with rites of passage and, and had just worked with a suicide that had happened at the high school. And I knew that. And he was very familiar with the myth that I work with in my work. And this myth is the Persephone Demeter myth. I'm not sure if you read that part of the book or if you know that myth. No. Yeah. So the Persephone Demeter myth is a Greek myth of, it's one of the descent myths. And I like myths because they've, they've endured over time. There's usually the bones of a true narrative in there, you know, something that's important. That's the children's stories are like mythic because they have these, this, the bones of what it is to be, uh, you know, a loving human present and, and handle adversity and so on. Well, this basic story is a story of Persephone is the innocent maiden out picking flowers in with her mother, Demeter. Have you heard the names Demeter and Persephone? Greek, you never, no. you didn't learn the Greek gods or goddesses in your, None of that. in no. Australia or wherever. No. Um, so we did have, at least certainly in Canada, you learned some of that, but um, so then Persephone is innocently doing her thing we could you could say that's you know us in our lives just doing our things and then Hades who is the god of the underworld sees her and falls in love with her and decides he wants her as his bride and he comes up one day on his chariot and he grabs her and takes her into the underworld and she gets down there and she's like I won't eat anything I won't have anything to do with this this isn't right I don't believe in this this isn't for me I'm not going to accept that this has happened to me and eventually, because there's a longer myth involved, that Demeter was the goddess of grain, and so the things stop growing. That, and so eventually Zeus, who's the, the main god, says, okay, you have to come, we, we'll bring her back. So uh, just as she's about to leave Hades, he offers her some pomegranate seeds, and she eats some of them because she thinks she's leaving. So she leaves, she goes back to her mother, and her mother says, have you eaten any fruit from the underworld? And 
discovers that, yes, because she has eaten these seeds, she will now have to go down to the underworld six months of the year and be in the upper world six months of the year. Okay. So ultimately, though, she falls in love with Hades. She's queen of the underworld and she's queen of the upper world. Okay. This is a really important metaphor for women, I believe, to not resist, you know, to come into the body. I think of the underworld or the unconscious as having a relationship with what we feel, what our deep knowing is, our intuition, our body. So for me, when this happened, I invited Michael to come over. He knew this myth. He knew I knew this myth. And this was the second day. Um, and he said to me, and this was the turning point. He said, you have just been summoned and you are going down into the darkest night you've ever known. But remember, you are Queen Persephone. You know how to do this. So surrender now. And we'll hold space for you in the upper world. And I do remember that moment where I, like something in me said, I surrender to this. I don't know if I will make it through, but I do know that I'm going to surrender and I will do it. I will walk in the way of the mysterious woman. I, I just knew that was what I would do. And that did mean sometimes, I mean, from the very beginning, it was the most humbling thing that has ever happened to me. I mean, I was bowed down to the devastation, but that's not the same as being defeated. Like, in other words, there were, there were many times when uh, I would say, in making my path by walking, the next step was to really give myself fully to my grief or to my anger or to my fear. There's actually a section I write in the book about that when I went to Hawaii and I was really able to do that. Yeah. Something you mentioned earlier was about, you know, consciousness and you had known of this, you'd, you'd coached women and everything beforehand, but can you explain for people who've never come across that topic? And I know this can be a big one, but what that actually that means to you? Well, we could say in psychology, we talk about this consciousness being what you are conscious of. And you could use the iceberg theory, which is often used. So two thirds of an iceberg is below the water and a third is up above the water. And the direction of the iceberg is determined by what's underneath the water. So what's above the water is who I think I am that's the conscious self. That's my. That's who I think I am. And then what is below the water is what is actually moving me. So you could say my uh, all that I don't know, all that the conscious mind does not want to have a relationship with or doesn't have a relationship is what is unconscious. So for example, this takes us a little bit into shadow or shadow work the way ex consciousness expands, so our awareness expands, that would be above the waterline, is because we make conscious something that we haven't seen before. So let's say, for example, growing up, it wasn't a good idea to have a, a strong and empowered voice. It was you, that you got love, safety, and belonging by 
agreeing and being amiable and going along to get along. And all, you know, that was your way. Now, that was a smart move. That's what we call the adaptive child. Like that was actually wise. So you learn how to do that. But then there's a part of you that goes into the unconscious, which is the part of you that sees certain things and has a thought and, and um, wants to express it. Or maybe anger goes into the unconscious, which over time doesn't mean it goes away. It's just unconscious. And so it can come exploding out in a moment when you're caught off guard. And obviously the work that, that I do or that, you know, you can do later in life if you're on a growth path is you start to actually do the work of making more conscious what is in the unconscious so it doesn't just take you out and drag you out in the moment. And when you do that, like let's say for an example, you start to get more connected to your anger and you realize that's telling you what you really want and what you really need. Now that's not the same thing as then I am my anger and I'm just going to explode it on everybody because I have a right to do that. It's that I get the important information from the anger, but then I bring it into my conscious self and I go, oh, I really care about having time to myself. And rather than just explode at everybody because I don't have it, I need to create the condition. I need to ask for time for myself. Now I've just got, I've got more, well, oh, I had deserved to have time for myself as well as time for the kids. Yes, thank. That was a great explanation. Yes, it does help. And reason also I wanted to ask that was because a line that you say in the book is, "It was as though the shattering experience of loss. I had come home to myself in a deeper way, and I was just beginning to discover the freedom in this new consciousness." Right. And then you experience this shattering of ego. And I really want you to speak to that because I think this is part of the break down, break open, break through that we, many of us have the opportunity, let's say, to come to, never mind our personal circumstances and our personal difficulties and the particulars of our stories. Right. Well, I think that's really important that that is what I hope the book is pointing toward, that if you have gotten a wake up call from life, something has happened that is... That, that could be the loss of a relationship. It could be you've, you're, you've left home and you're going off to live your life in a new part of the world. You've left the community. It could be um, you have a child. It could be, you know, there's so many transitions, important transitions in, in a life, let's say. And so all of those transitions are asking us, in a way, if we can do it, to be present for them, to really be show up for them. And not, and I sometimes say to the women that do my work, to learn to welcome discomfort. Like this is the path of growth is actually not very comfortable. That we, you know, what it, what it means to be willing to be uncomfortable and, and trust that that discomfort is actually giving you the possibility of letting go of a self that, is just not big enough for the self that's trying to come in. So for me, you know, that was all my identity that I I would say I've used the analogy sometimes of like a plexiglass that I looked at the world through, but I didn't even know I did until it was shattered through this trauma. And everything was closer to me. It was like, the ego, whatever ways my ego needed to keep me separate or be the teacher or um, 
be someone that really bad things like this don't happen to. I help other people through that, you know, all of the yes. shatterings of these parts of my identity, which is my ego, um, were happening. And, and I will say that, that the thing is, if you have a wake up call, if that is what's happening, that if you're listening now, that that's the possibility. If we don't hold on too tight to, you know, I've got to get back to the self that was that self before, but actually use the time to see what is it, what is, are you ready to let go of? Like what really no longer fits? You know, we see in, in, for example, and you know this well, in domestic violence situations, I mean, one of the hardest situation things is that um, you know this isn't right for you. You want to make a move. You want to change. But there's a part of your identity that is very afraid of what would happen if you did step out on your own and be have that kind of self-authoring and agency. And so there are these moments where that strength comes forward, and I think, I'm going to leave this person, and I'm going to go and, and create my life. And then and, and when the, the person is in their worst, it seems like that's it. I'm going to totally do it. And then they kind of mellow out a bit. And then the part of you that is afraid, I don't want to let go of this me, this me that lives in this house with this person. And on a good day, it's good. You know, so, so there, there is that, there has to be at a certain point, you know, the willingness to say, no, that self, that self worked up until now, but it's not actually creating a life that's aligned with me now. And I'm going to have to let parts of that self go. Yeah. And what's on the other side of that? Like, I'd love for you to share a personal story of yours through that, of what it means to embrace the discomfort, as you're describing, let go or shed what you thought that self once was to step into another unprecedented version of you. What is the benefit? What's the possibility? What's the goodness? Oh, well, the benefit, and this is the, this is the hard part, is that before you get to the benefit, you have let you have to let go of one trapeze. You do not get to grab the other trapeze until you're standing a little bit in the unknown and there's a kind of groundless ground there. So you will not feel the benefit right away. This is the hard part because that's why you don't do it because I don't know. You have to be willing, and this would be an invitation of, of both of my books, to be able to be with the unknown to be with uncertainty, to be with the mystery. And I would say that's an essential capacity for us as humans right now on this earth, unless we're going to live in just ongoing anxiety all the time because of the, the way that we live. But, but the, thing, the, the example that came to me just when I was thinking about it, I don't know if this is the best one or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll do this one because it's, it's a little short. Um, it was, um, so I'm a speaker, I'm a transformational teacher, I, this is what I do. And I, and I certainly had that identity when, when this all happened. And somewhere shortly after it happened, I was invited to be a keynote speaker along with some other big names in the, um, in the space of women in leadership here in Seattle at an event. And it was in August, David died in January. So I thought, well, in my naivete, I thought I'll be I'll be ready for that by August, and I'll just you know that self will just show up and do her thing. Whatever's going on personally, well, I'll be able to manage. 
And the closer I got to doing it to the day, the more I realized that I, I, I couldn't authentically give the speech I was going to, to give. Like that me was not around anymore. And so I, I remember sitting, waiting for, I had all my, my talk, all the notes. And um, I, right before I, I went on, as the person was introducing me, I just put them under my chair. And that would be my trapeze, right? And yes. I thought, I don't know how this is going to go. There were 300 women at least there. It was a relatively big event. Um, but this is what I'm going to do. And I stood up and I went over to one side of the stage uh, where the light was. And I said, this was where I thought I was going to speak to you from. From this part of me who's been researching leadership for 15 years as a consultant and 10 years with women. And I know a lot about leadership and women and what it means to show up today with more of who we are and make an impact. But that's not the part. That's not the talk I'm going to give today. And I went over to the very, very edge of the stage where there wasn't a light. It was relatively dark. And I said, this is the place I'm going to speak from. Eventually they found a light, you know, people <laughs> put some lights on me. Slightly, because you were intentionally going into the darkness. Yeah, to tell yeah. a story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, they and I, I could. It's okay because it wasn't as bright as the other light, but they could hear me because of the microphone, and and they could see me. Their ambient lights, so, you know, it wasn't like. But then that was the place I spoke from, and I spoke to what it means when life deals a difficult blow and there's a big change to stand naked in your, to find yourself, to be your authentic self. And I, I basically took myself into that experience and I didn't know how it would go. And in the end, it was very, very, very powerful. And really the, at the end, the room was just silent. Like you could have heard a pin drop. It was like, that's actually the message they needed in that moment, that difficult things will happen in your life. And you can move through it. And the way you move through it is by being with here. Now I am with my experience and this is what it looks like. And this is about the feminine and the masculine coming together. And so, so that would be an example, but there, I'm using, using that one because there definitely was a play. It wasn't not a guarantee. There was no Ben. I wasn't sure how this would go and that it would be a benefit. Maybe not. Maybe I was going to completely crash. There is that risk. You know, so that's the fear you have to be prepared to meet, to actually work with. And I have a practice in the back of the second book that is designed to help you move toward your fear or be able to go toward your fear. I'm glad you bring that up, actually, because it's one of the parts of your books that, that I really resonated with. And I think a lot of the audience will too. And it was that of turning towards your fear and probably emotions in general, turning towards yes, your feelings. Absolutely. And it's what we don't want to do when it's the negative ones, yeah. at least, or the so-called negative ones. Um, and you mentioned a quote from the Vietnamese spiritual teacher who passed Thich Nhat Hanh. And he said, the only way to ease our fear and to be truly happy is to acknowledge our fear and look deeply at its source. Instead of trying to escape from the fear, we invite it up to our awareness and look at it clearly and deeply. 
And I want to start with that because mm. it's the place we all want to avoid so desperately. And going back to what we just said before about the gift on the other side of this, the gift of going to your shadow, or at least the benefit when you can't face it, use the term gift in the face of immense tragedy, like you're describing with your story, but knowing that actually there can be beauty and growth and freedom and joy on the other side. And I was wondering whether you could share a story from your own life, your own experience of really walking towards one of your fears and what breakthrough that led mm. you to. Yes. Well, fear was a pretty constant companion for, for many, many, many years. Uh, because at the just the basic you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, just at the basic level of will I have enough food? Will I have a place to live? Will I have the resources I need to to survive? Um, will I be able to reform my business? I mean, all of those fears. And the the time they would they would appear the most potently were in the middle of the night. And I'm sure anyone who's going through a big change knows that middle of the night where the conscious mind is a little bit off duty and they would come swooping in. And I had a very specific practice that I would do because the way I work with emotions and you could think of it like, like the heart or emotions, like an ocean, like literally they, the, the mechanism is, is oceanic. The waves are meant to move, but we either don't want to have them. So we hold it back, which you know, it doesn't work very well, or we overattach to them and we don't let it go, right? So then we get swamped by the feeling. But there is a kind of learning to ride the wave of the feeling, regardless of what it is. And for me in the middle of the night, when the fear wave would rise, first of all, I'd get myself awake enough because I knew that was in the unconscious. I was coming out of the dream state. And then I would picture myself on a surfboard, literally on a big wave of fear. And I would breathe and breathing is everything here. Just take, probably take about 10 breaths. It actually doesn't take very long. Interestingly, when you really learn to work with the emotional body, the waves will, will resolve quite quickly. You know, you'll get the information you need to get if you can stay unattached. Um, and I would just let it ride. I would just breathe and breathe because it's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's fear. So, you know, holding myself and breathing and picturing myself surfing and going through that without getting overwhelmed by the foam and froth. And eventually it would resolve, would come out. And then when I'd start, that would start to mellow. I would do a simple gratitude practice where I'd bring again, my awareness because my energy follows my attention, you know, where am I paying attention? I would say, what am I grateful for right now? And I would literally say it out loud. I have a, a roof over my head right now. You're okay. You're not starving. You've got your cat here. You've got a comfortable bed. You're okay. In this moment, you're okay. Because fear is part of the reptilian brain, comes from, drags all the stuff out of the past, and then it projects it all into the future. So, you have to, you're basically, I, I, would, I would see it's not true that I'm going to be homeless. It was a false, you know, that's the thing driving the fear, let's say, in that moment. Once I could 
let the wave move, then I, and then I could say, no, that isn't true. This is actually, right now, I'm good. I mean, I know it's possible. It could happen. Yeah. And then afterwards, you felt calmer. I much, much calmer. And I could go yeah, to sleep. Yeah, I think this, yeah, and I think this is why so many of us, I think the difficulties of riding the wave, as you describe, I mean, I love that idea, you know, being oceanic and, and really seeing it like that is because we we think it's going to last forever. You think you're going to fall into this place and you're not going to get out. Even Absolutely. if you know it's not and you've had enough experience in your past to know that that's not the case. When it arises in that moment, that's often the first feeling that comes up. It's like, oh, I can't sink into this. You know, I had a moment of that myself today and I had been procrastinating on a task and then did it, but it took me far too long. And I was stuck in this perfectionistic mindset. And this had always been one of my kind of sore points or difficult difficulties. And what I realized like through that was where I was getting frustrated with technology not working as I wanted to while I was editing a video or whatever. It was not that that was the problem it was what was underneath and I thought mm. and really actually use your idea there of riding the wave in that moment I thought okay I'm getting stuck in this place and playing loops and feeling uncomfortable but I'm going to go and see what it's like to sit with it and I cried and I connected with the little girl who just so desperately wanted love I'd learned that I got certificates for performance when I was younger and felt like I had I was going to lose the very love that I so desperately wanted because I couldn't perform to the level that I expected of myself and yeah. it sounds maybe silly on some level but in that moment it was it felt so heavy like a lot of shame and a lot of fear around not being good enough and then a lot of fear around not having enough knowledge or smarts right. or capabilities mm -hmm. But I went there and I decided, and this was actually today, and I was like, I'm going to go there. And I spoke about it with my partner and I cried and we breathed. And and I then felt so much lighter afterwards. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So much. And I'm like joyful. I'm happy and joyful. And the rest of my day was so much right. better than if I had have stayed stuck in that place and carried mm -hmm. the mild ag agitation around right that's a beautiful example and i'll give another one um because i think that's just gorgeous um which was right before my book was about to launch um, so that launch was last week um the week before so it's a big threshold you i'm bringing this book out and the week before i started to wake up in the morning with this kind of dread and a, and a heavy feeling and and headache and um just just off. And I thought, what the heck is this all about? And there was one part of me, you know, in the old days that might have just powered through. You got a book to launch, you got, and I have so many things to do. And that's what you're doing. But like you, I, I have a I knew to take a little time. And I actually took some time with myself to say, what is going on here? And what I discovered was this part of me that this, and, and it was a younger part, but also a part that remembered Last time I was getting ready to come out with a book, it didn't go so well, right? Everything came crashing down. Um, that was right when David died. And this was a part of me that was afraid to come out now. And also 
um, afraid, was I good enough? Had, is it complete? Am I ready to tell this story? It's so vulnerable. Do I want to have this very personal story out there? Was this a really crazy idea? This part, that part, you know, saying, um, yeah, may, and, and does that take you further away from David? Because there is a kind of finish of a cycle with this book coming out for me of, of 10 years since it happened and, and kind of coming back to the upper world, you could say. But it really was taking the time with myself and having a good cry and feeling what was really going on. And I stayed really connected to this part for a couple of days. And my headaches went away. The energy changed. It was the same phenomenon of just feeling like I brought a part of myself along with me that was trying to get my attention. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. And it really points to what you said before about the link between the conscious and the subconscious, because clearly there was a part of you that had that that memory 100%. stored, even if you weren't aware of it. But actually you needed to take that moment to investigate a little bit deeper of what was going on underneath the surface. Yeah. And, and bring that, that so part. many of us don't do. To bring yeah. those parts of ourselves along, right? To just sort of take ourselves lovingly by the hand. And, you know, that's what I did with this part. It was like, oh, sweetie, I know you're afraid. I get it. I really feel it. But we're going to do this. And I've got you. And, you know, the larger me, you know, the adult self, I could say, was taking this younger part. And it was very healing for for me, very healing for me. Yeah, that is beautiful. And I'm so glad you bring that up because I that's also been my experience too of like that that is the transformational moment right there. That is the bringing light into the shadow and being integrated and whole because I think as soon as if we continue to disown the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see, you know, you could you could easily have played a narrative that was 10 years ago. I've done this healing. I don't want to do that right now. Tried to block it all away and just muscle totally. through and soldier on like you're saying, but you didn't. And I'm sure that led to a much better outcome and a much greater, more fulfilling sense of integrity and wholeness. Absolutely. I felt the night of the launch and I did a, an in-person book launch here and then I did a virtual one after that, but the, the first one was in person. I could feel um, standing speaking that all of me was there. Like I really had gathered myself up. And sometimes I call this, you know, they're, they're, they're the kind of guardians at the gate, like where you're about to make some, a big transition. There's a threshold that, you know, taking, slowing yourself down. What I did there was slow myself down to gather myself up for this transition so I could have more of myself available. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Something you spoke to also in regards to, turning towards your feelings is becoming an observer and I think that's so important I mean that we speak a lot about mindfulness on this podcast and how it is so imperative to start noticing those uncomfortable feelings and thoughts that you're having rather than becoming entangled in them and swept away with them and intentionally creating that space between the thought or the emotion and the action that we take and from there, we can then start living more intentionally rather than from habit or with more conscious awareness from rather than being, being triggered, led by right. the, yeah, exactly. Um, can you speak a little bit to some common 
limiting beliefs that we have because this is very tied up in amongst fear and shame and a lot of what we want to put into our shadow and I think something people really struggle with they might have had familiarity with this term of okay limiting beliefs but don't actually know how to identify their own what some common ones are and how that actually is getting in the way of them living a full life right well, and also it's important to to know that these beliefs are embodied. So they're not just ideas in the head, right? They're actually very much in the body. And that's the tricky part because you can put affirmations on the mirror forever. But if these are deeply embodied beliefs, which most of the deep ones are, you, you have to do a little more work with surfacing the root of that um, of that experience. But that was the first 10 years of our research was actually finding, working with hundreds of women and then seeing this, these patterns emerge. Um, five in particular, and I'll just share what they are and, and your listeners can uh, see whether you resonate with this. The first one is I am not enough. I'm not enough. A lot of people have that deep, um, driving nature that just my fundamental being is not enough. And yeah. the next one is I have to do to be of value. So you can also imagine all the doing that goes on and the overdoing or the underdoing because, you know, or my sense because I'm not doing enough, I don't feel good. Like I'm really anybody worth anything. Another is I don't belong. And again, that connects to I'm not enough. I don't belong. This, I, I, there's something wrong with me that has me not feeling like I should belong. Another one is I am not free to express my true nature. Like I, it isn't safe for me to express myself. I'll be punished. I'll be hurt. Uh, and then the fifth one was, is um, I don't have enough knowledge connections or influence. If I just had more knowledge, I just more I have to do, more study I have to do, better, like you were referencing before, I have to get better and better at this thing. I'm not good at Oh my gosh, that, because yeah, I'm not I, enough. I, <laughs> I think I think I have a lot of those, to be honest, when you say that. I was like, yes, the not enoughness for sure. I feel totally triggered if I'm not productive enough. And uh, right. that that comes up for me a lot. Don't have enough knowledge, yes. And then that keeps me in this scarcity mindset it prevents me from taking action right which is a huge killer of dreams I mean I Absolutely. and yet it's, the thing is it's like oh I know it I know it and yet how do you get through it you know I love that that you give those five because I'm sure for everyone listening you you're going to know well I name them in the back of the book I name them there. and there I do mm -hmm. name them in the back of the book this book but the first book um we go into them very deeply. And how do you turn that from I am not enough to I am enough just as I am? How do you turn I have to do to be a value to I am empowered to do what is mine to do? It is not everything. Um, and, and actually we have practices that, that you can do. So you kind of know where you were. What you're describing to me, I think would relate to the archetype that, that I call the hero, which is the flame, kind of a dynamic masculine which has its shadow, the shadow side of which is I'm just the dominator. I've just got to do, 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 you know, to really prove myself. Or the passive side of that same shadow is the capitulator. Forget it. This is, I can't do it. I can't do it. But 
finding the healthy hero in between, that's the work to find what, what part of you got split off. Where did it go and why? <laughs> Is yeah. this literally what it means when people say integrate the shadow? Well, integrate the shadow is the way I want to talk about that is not just mental. It's actually, I do it like a, you could imagine a you, a you model where you go down and, and you actually make contact with the emotional body. So let me, let me just describe something and we'll go back to that example again of let's say your anger was not acceptable when you were younger. Okay. So that gets left in the, in the unconscious or is shadow. Just imagine it's put into a dark closet somewhere. But it's energy. It isn't just an idea. It's actually energy. So the very first thing you have to do is begin to have a relationship with the charge in the body. But why didn't you do that before? Because it was too much for your little nervous system. So you learned to shut off that intensity in the body. This is why we call it developmental trauma. And 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 make it all all right out there for everybody else. I'll just make it nice and I'll make everybody else happy and I'll overgive and I'll extend and I'll just do all of that. And it settles my nervous system. That's why we say it was a good move. It was an adaptive strategy. So the first thing you have to be able to do is to actually, in the self you have now, hold a little more space for the charge of that feeling in the body. And as you do that, you know, that, you get more familiar with that. Then you come back up the, you could say you come up the other side of the you, you have other ways of behaving. This is the, 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 the essence of what Viktor Frankl talked about in the quote, I'm sure you know, between stimulus and response, yeah. there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response is the opportunity to grow. But we need to create the space. And that isn't, can't just be done mentally. You actually have to, this is, the turning toward the feelings again, to be able to metabolize literally the, the charge in the body. Yeah. So then, I mean, maybe this goes without saying, but <clears throat> do you think that the idea of like, we need to feel it to heal it is true? Like, we well, need absolutely. To we need to full, feel it to yeah. heal it. Now, you, you, we have to also know, we actually, the, 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 the mechanism is, of the body is quite good at shutting things off when it gets overwhelming, as I was just describing. So we don't want to go back in and, you know, make contact with the trauma like full on. We do it. I always talk about it as 2% at a time. So, you know, when your system's getting overwhelmed, you know, it, like in other words, let's say making contact with your anger is, is, is like overwhelming. Just, to even give yourself permission to, to be angry is the first thing. And then maybe that's all you can do for now. It's just like, it's okay. I, I ha it's okay for me to be angry. That does not make me a bad person, but I don't want to feel it yet. So that would be the start. And then the next time, the next wave that it comes, you might be able to be with yourself and go for a run and let the feeling move and let the charge in the body go somewhere. Because what you're trying to do is get to what is it I really want? What is it I'm trying to take care of that my anger is telling me, for example? And you might have to do that in stages, you know, let, let that in bit by bit. Do you think that we can ever truly heal 
something I know this is this is discussed quite a lot of like whether you can just diminish the charge let's say of how overwhelming something feels but actually we can we still continuously have the same triggers throughout our whole life I'll tell you my my experience on this and belief on that is that we we will have there's certain core wounds we could say we, we could even say it's our karma or it's it's the destiny line we're on and so I think that we might get or be aware of triggers could happen in a whole life. Like for me, for example, belonging or that sense of belonging is a, is a core wound for me. And, uh, and then of course it got massively, was already a part of my family of origin immaterial and feeling like an outsider, like I didn't belong, like I was too different and you know, all of the ways that went back in my childhood. But of course, when David did what he did. Speak speak to that more. Speak. I'm curious. Mm. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can go all the way back, actually, to, um, to something I discovered actually later in my life after my mother had passed away, which was quite young. She, she passed away at 50-something. But I had I discovered in this random way that from her sister, my aunt, that when I was born, I was the second child and my older sister um, and my father wanted a, a boy. And when I was born, he apparently didn't talk to my mother for 10 days and was just so mad at her for having a girl, which is you know unimaginable, you might say. I remember sa- saying this to my therapist when, I, when the information came to me through my aunt. Um, saying, well, it's not like having childhood abuse or, or something. And she said, no, it's actually, it's it maybe even worse because it was so pre-verbal. It's at such an early stage of your attachment and you're getting the message that you're not good enough. You don't belong. Because of course it would have affected my mother. That was all pre-verbal. So it was all happening in my body. And then I think inside of my family of origin, and I had a wonderful family and I loved my siblings and I had a very... I would say privileged childhood, but I also felt very different. I was having different experiences there. Everyone was into science and I was having what I would call spiritual experiences very young, but I had no context for it or understanding it. So I felt like, oh, I don't know if I belong here, but I'm part of this family. Yeah. So that started quite early for me. And even in culture, I think, excuse me, feeling like an outsider in the sense of, um, I was always interested in more than just my own parochial little world. I was interested in what was happening around the globe and saw myself as someone who was part of a larger picture. Um, so I, I felt like I was a little different. So when David died, it, it hit that core wound. And of course, I had the opportunity, therefore, to keep working with that. I mean, to work it deeply, profoundly. Um, the, the turnaround for that wound of I don't belong is I am at home in myself and naturally belong. You know, inside this great field of, you know, the friendly universe, let's say. But um, just to be precise in your question, I think, there are times still when I will go to my partner's house 
And if his door, his front door is locked, we both know this. He knows this now, so he tries to have it open. Um, I, I feel shut out. Like I get, it triggers me. It just triggers me right away into that, like the, the younger part and how could he not do that? And he doesn't love me and, you know, and I'm being shut out, but I have enough free awareness. And this is where the observer self and mindfulness is so important. Like I know this and, and I can self-soothe. I can say, like I was describing before to that part, honey, he just forgot to unlock the door. You're okay. I've got you here. You're going to be fine. Like not make him the problem, not yes. run away, which is the other option. Yes. It's just to get out that's of there and to self-soothe. And that is part of taking my hand self by the hand. Like that's how I metabolize the feelings bit by bit. Um, so I will say that's a, the charge is much less than it, than it was, but will this be my whole life that I might be working this theme? Maybe it's, it's part of the work I do in the world. And, um, uh, it's okay. It's like a, it's like a destiny line. It's like mine to do, you know, others have other core wounds they'll work with. Yeah. And out of curiosity, when you describe like a, this core wound, does that link to the five that you identified with the limiting beliefs so that I'm not enough, I need to do to be of value. I do not belong. I'm not free to express myself fully and I don't have enough knowledge. Like they, are they linked to the core wounds? Well, they, they could all be, they could, you could have more than one of these woven together in your own core wound. That could be likely something could have come from, you know, there's some theories about past lives, but could have come from your own family of origin, some dynamic. And it might not just be one. But we found in our, in our work that these five were so consistent. We didn't invent them. We literally just saw them again and again and again and again and again arising. So we, we got a sense of there's something happening in the collective unconscious here that is part of the old operating system, right? That's the point. It's, it's an old code that's part of the patriarchy that's been around for 5,000 years. It's outdated. This is an outdated operating system running on these codes, not just in the mind, but also in the heart and in the body. And they, they have to get updated for, for us to live the lives we really want to be living now in these times. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the, just before we finish up here, like if you're to reflect on how we can truly heal some of those core wounds, what are some of the necessary ingredients you would say? Well, the first probably is that you, you have an interest like this. You know, you start like listening to this podcast. You get yourself in resonant fields with other people who want to grow. Because this is about growth. This isn't just about feeling better. I don't think of myself as being particularly interested in self-help. I'm not trying to help the self that you're trying to outgrow. It's actually about growing again. It's a, it's so it would say, welcome the discomfort that's part of growth and, and recognize that you are not alone, that many are waking up like this around the world right now and, and want to grow and develop, not just because you want to feel better, but because you recognize there's actually more you available 
when you remove the blocks and you want more access to that you and that you is a blessing and it will meet the opportunities and the needs of the world, you know, as you show up in your own wholeness, like that, that is, that's the blessing. So I think that's a really important first piece. And then, and then I'd say, you know, you, you make your path by walking, you make your path by walking that you say what's right here right now that I need to take care of. Not the thing that's way out there. Like very often I see this, I want to start my own business and launch this and that and the other thing. And it's way out there in the future. But right now my house is a mess. My relationship is a mess. I have no, my financial situation's completely chaos. I won't be here now. It's like be on the ground that you're on. Come home to yourself. Come home and be there for your own suffering, for your own experience right now. And then when you can do that compassionately from that ground, you know, the, that possible future can unfold. I love that. Very powerful. I'm going to move into the final fast few questions now, Suzanne. And the first thing I wanted to ask is, is there something that you would say in part of this healing process and just part of living a good life too, that we could have a morning or an evening practice to kind of bookend our day that helps us to find that grounded stability, presence. 100%. And I actually have morning practices in both books. So um, I highly recommend. There's just nothing but to have create the container for yourself first thing in the morning, because as the day unfolds, you will get yanked in many different directions by things that you cannot predict. That's the unfolding of a of life. And depending on your container, you'll be able to meet those things or you will not. So that is um, the, the simple things that you could do. First is a journaling practice first thing in the morning that is called morning pages. And I, I have that in my both books where it's kind of a stream of consciousness writing where you let yourself have the feelings and the thoughts that you have. It's not like the journaling in a nice journal. It's actually just let yourself get congruent you know, don't censor yourself. Let's let's just see who I am as I'm showing up here today. Uh, a simple meditation practice, whatever that would look like for you, that really doesn't even have to be more than 10 minutes, but it's a way in which, as a place to start, you sit for 10 minutes with yourself. There are lots of online apps that can help you do that, that can guide you to just come home to yourself and, and arrive here with yourself. And then I always like to suggest that, that people create a, an external altar or a little place in your house that's dedicated to your growth. That's simple. It has a candle. You know, I sit and meditate by mine in the morning, and it has images on it of some of the elements I want in my future. And it has flowers, fresh flowers, and other sacred objects for me. It's like I'm taking my own growth seriously. And I'm honoring it by creating this little external place. So those are just a few. But that could change everything about how you go into the day rather than getting up, being pulled right into your social media or email and, you know, going in a million different directions with no center. You don't, you don't have any center to start with. 
That and the end of the day, you just balance. And then the end of the day, I do a, a gratitude practice. And there's lots of good research around around that now, the neuroscience of that, actually, as you probably know. So that's super simple. You can just, I do it in a bathtub. So I like to have a bath before I go to bed and just let the day go. Um, and I put wonderful smells in the bath and a candle. And this is my evening ritual. And then I, I just go through and let stream through me the things I'm grateful for in the day. And sometimes it's just, you know, that beautiful person that gave me their parking spot or that night it's not, or maybe it's the dinner that my partner cooked or, or was the, the text message from a friend or it's the beautiful sun. There's the home I live in. You just let yourself be flooded with feelings of gratitude. It's a beautiful way to prepare for, for sleep and let go of the day, whatever it's been. Yes. I love that. Beautiful. Secondly, looking back, what is, what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Let's say your 20, 30 year old self. Mm. I'd probably tell that self to slow down. I was very, I still am a fast moving woman. I have a lot of energy and ideas and I invent things and I move in the world an adventurer in that sense. But I think I was a bit afraid back then to, to slow myself down. And I think you spoke to it yourself in your own experience, some sense of if I'm not producing and doing, uh, you know, something terrible will happen. I wasn't conscious of it then, but I think I would have benefited from having a little more being time in my, my life. Um, so I probably would just say, yeah, you can do both. It's beautiful that you are also speedy and do all these things, but you can slow down too. Yeah. And lastly, what is a closing message you'd like to give our listeners who are on this healing and self-development journey? Hmm. Well, first of all, I, I love that you are on the healing and self-development journey because that is not everyone, you know? And so I just, I'd want to, I want to honor that you are called to grow and it's not easy and it's a, it's not a comfortable path. So that's already something so beautiful. And then I think because, because you have said yes in a way to being a, a person on the edge of evolution, you're willing to keep growing yourself up and influence for, you know, your people in your own world now, but I believe future generations as well. You're the path breaker, the pioneer. And also, because of that, I'd say be very gentle with yourself, you know, to find the compassion to, to just know that it's not an easy path you've been called to. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and every now and again, give yourself a little self-love for, for your courage and your commitment to keep waking up and growing yourself up and and showing up in the world yeah. and facing all of the discomfort and the fear that we've spoken about on this podcast that touched my heart thank you so much Suzanne and thank you so much for doing this episode and for sharing some of your story and your wisdom with us it's it's been a pleasure thank you Shannon it's been really delightful to be with you that's great and where can anyone get in contact with you or follow your work or yeah, my website's the best place to start, and that's mysterialwoman.com, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L woman.com. 
And uh, I would recommend you join the mailing list because uh, I send out things once a month and sort of my thinking and practices and ideas. You can also get uh, both books, you know, link their links there to Amazon, get both books there. Although I love people to go to the local bookstores and order them there. <laughs> if you happen to have, be so lucky as to have a local bookstore, I'd like to keep those going. And um, yeah, but get on our mailing list because there'll be a program coming out in the fall in October that's going to be on resilience and how to make your path by walking. It'll be an introductory program. For for my deeper work, my depth work with that I do with women, the next program, the enrollment opening um, is in 2024. So if you're on my mailing list for some of you, that may be a next step to really do that deep work inside a the kind of container that we create. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Thank you. And thank you to all of you listening. I hope you found this episode inspiring, helpful, and thought-provoking. And just a final word from me, high praise to you all for continuously choosing healing, self-awareness, and growth. I totally believe in your ability to make change, surmount challenges, and build a life worth dreaming about. 